0: following content is derived from the preaching ministry of Ashland Avenue Baptist Church in Oldham County, Kentucky, and is reproduced here for the benefit of its members. We exist to treasure and spread a passion for the supremacy of Christ in all things for the joy of all peoples, and we pray that God's grace among us would spread beyond us to the benefit of anyone who happens to listen. For more information about our church, go to ashlandoc.org. Thanks for listening. reading from John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10. <clears throat> so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by, if anyone enters by me, He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful For your Son, Jesus Christ, and what he has done for us. And Lord, we are thankful that we have life, and not just life that we live passively, but life that is abundant every second of every day. Lord, teach us this morning who you are, what you've done for us, how you keep us, and how we are to live. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, most of you know I'm from Florida, you can probably tell by my tan, (laughs) but I think the Lord knew that when I was in my late 20s, I would move to Kentucky, because I'm thankful now, I consider myself a Kentuckian, I don't want to go back to Florida, okay, it's too hot, and I don't care about the beach, people are always like, you're from Florida, you must love the beach, I mean, it's fine, you know, it's cool to look at, you know, but I have two hours max at the beach. I get a nice sear, and then I go to the pool in the shade, and then I go back inside, okay? Now, when I, But when I was growing up, when friends would want to go to the beach, all I had to do was grab a towel, put it in a bag, show up. That's all I did. Sunscreen? Nah. But it's different when you take your family to the beach. Um, a few years ago... We had a few more foster children in our home. We had three total, a five-year-old, a one-year-old, and one that wasn't quite one. And we decided to go to the beach. And it was awesome. But it was also very difficult, okay, because when we got to the beach, we stayed in a little condo about, you know, two streets over from the beach. But instead of just packing a towel in my bag and walking out onto the beach, nope, I had a wagon just giant. I know you know what I'm talking. You've been to the beach with, with your family. You got a giant wagon, and we can't possibly carry everything. We got chairs. We have a shaded tent that my mom that my mom bought. We have all these towels. We have different sunscreens with different SPF numbers. I don't know why we need all the sunscreen. We have every toy that you can take to play in the water with, and then we have the kids themselves. So we put the we put the little ones two of them in the wagon and just piled the stuff on top of them. They couldn't even move. They can't get out. They're not going to fall out of this thing. And not only that, you take it, and then you got to do the, the, the trek to the beach, all right? From now on, if I, if I go to the beach, I want to stay on the beach, because then you have to trek everything to the beach. You're pulling the wagon with the kids in it. They're, they're already not happy about it, okay? they got stuff piled on them. You're going across. Uh, my five-year-old doesn't care about the road. They just, just want to run into the road, so you're trying to rein them in. Everyone stay together. We're having a good family trip. We love each other, okay? And there we go. We're crossing the street. We get to the beach, and then you get to the sand, and that wagon no longer moves easily. And so now you're just like pulling them, you know, you're pulling them across the sand. The wheels aren't even turning. And then you get there, and then you have to unload it all. You unload it, and you make this this giant setup, okay? You get get everyone's towels out. Then you got to wrangle them, and you got to squirt the sunscreen on them, and they're crying uh, as well as just taking it off and just putting it in their mouth. And and all the time, me me and Jesse, my wife, we're already like kind of butting heads. I'm like, we're we're having a good time. I'm not having a good time, you know. (laughs) I'm stressing out over here. I just want to sit on the beach. We took off work for this. And you get there and you get everyone ready, and the, but, but then they all spread out. you got one five-year-old that just jumps into the waves, the rip just taking them away. you got another one who's just piling sand into their mouth. I look over, and there's just sand everywhere and, and it's, they, they find it delicious. It's just, they're not even crying about it. they're just and I got the other one who's just crying, right? And I remember and when I look on that, I'm like. I remember thinking, my blood pressure's going up right now, thinking about it and being like, 10 minutes in, being like, I want to go back to the condo and sit down. just want to go home. I'm on vacation, but I want to go home. But even when I think about it now, it's not with nostalgia. Yes, it, I'm glad we took our, our family to the beach, but I also remember how hard it was. And a lot of times when I think about that day, I'm like, it was more like work. I, do, I did more work in that two hours at the beach than I do in my eight-hour day shooting emails off to people. So I don't look back on that with just pure nostalgia. I look back and I, th- and I think, man, that was, that was hard. And I have pictures from that day of them eating sand and, and crying and all this stuff. And I think about all the hardships of that. And, and when I say hardships, right, it's not really that hard. I'm just a weenie, Okay. But when I think about that day, I think about all the hardships, but I also think at the end, it was worth it. It was worth it to spend time with my family, to provide this little two hours or this vacation with my family. It was worth it to drag them out there. It was worth it to spend time with kids that aren't even in my home anymore. When When I look back on that, I thank God for that day. And when I was thinking about that this week, and, and like I said, the picture's on my phone because I think about it all the time, I think about how often we pass through life so passively and we don't really know the abundant life that we have, that we have every second of every single day that the Lord has provided for us, even when things are hard, even when things are hard, especially when things are hard. And and we read it here because we're going to get to it, the last verse about abundant life. We think about that and our mind immediately races to all the things that we want, all the stuff that we want, that would make us have an abundant life, what we think we want. But Jesus is going to show us what the abundant life actually looks like. When we come to chapter 10, it's, it's not just this isolated text. No, something has been going on already. We can't dive into chapter 10 without understanding chapter 9 of, of John. Because what's happened is Jesus has had another run-in with the Pharisees, the, the Jewish leaders of the day who are trying to trick him and, and to plot against him because they are threatened. And Jesus is gone, and he's healed a man born blind. He didn't become blind later in his life. He was born blind. And Jesus comes and he heals this man. He makes him to see. And the Pharisees come and the Jewish leaders come and they question the man. They're like, who did this? And he points to Jesus. Jesus. And the Pharisees are just trying, the Jewish leaders are just trying to trap this man and, and put him down and, and make him look like nothing. Like, he, you don't know anything. You don't know what you saw. in the man, what does he say? He just says, all I know is I was blind, but now I see. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. And, and chapter 9 is so interesting because you have the Jewish leaders who are the learned men of the day pointing, supposed to be the under-shepherds of God, pointing the people to God. And you have this man who's born blind, and what happens in chapter 9 is throughout the chapter, the man who's born blind progressively sees more and more and more, and the Jewish leaders see less and less and less. And you get to the part in chapter 9 where the man worships God. He worships God because of what Jesus did. In verse 38, he said this. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. This is the key of that whole chapter. He worshiped him. Lord, I believe. And then we come to chapter 10. And there's really no break here, okay? This is the same scenario because Jesus turns around and he says, truly, truly, verse 1, A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So Jesus starts on this metaphor with sheep. And just a disclaimer before we go any further, all right? because we want to say here, because what Jesus has called, he's called himself the shepherd, and he's called himself the door of the sheep. Okay. And so you don't want to come and say, well, which is he? He's both. He's both the door and the shepherd. And the reason why he's doing that is because we're going to cover today His what John Piper calls his doorness, Jesus as the door, the gatekeeper of the sheep. And then next week, we're going to talk more about how he is the shepherd. But he's trying to do something with both of those images. But look at verse 6. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So as you can imagine, Jesus says the first five verses, and the look on their face is just this. They don't understand what he's talking about. And so we look into verse 7. So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And we've seen that, right? That I am. We've talked about that a lot. Jesus identifying himself as the Messiah, as the God of the Old Testament. Here he has come. He is the Messiah, the, the promised one, the one that will lead his people, his sheep out. He says, I am the door of the sheep. Now, I don't know how many shepherds we have in here. As far as I know, none. In fact, my, most of my knowledge of shepherds comes from the movie Babe, which is, a ter- which is like more modern shepherd because you have a dog that chases the sheep around. But in the first century, what this looks like, especially this class of people, is that they would have a pen, this, this fold, and they would, several families would keep their, her, their flocks of sheep together into this fold. And then the shepherds, when they were ready to take their sheep out, the shepherd would come and lead them out by calling their sheep. The sheep heard their shepherd's voice. They had different calls that, they, that the shepherds used. So they didn't have dogs just leading them and chasing them out. When the shepherd was ready, he came and called his own sheep out. And so we need to understand that in order to understand what is the function of this door. If Jesus is saying, I am the door of the sheep, what does he mean? Well, think of a door. What's the purpose of a door? It gives entrance into something, but not only that, it guards the entrance into something. If you remember from, if you read John 14, John 14, 6 says this, Jesus talking about himself, I am, again, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so what Jesus is trying to get his hearers to see is, I am the way. I am the only way. I am the door to what's outside of here. And I am also protecting what's inside of here. Those that are mine, I am protecting it. Jesus is calling himself the door. There is only one way. It's me. A couple years ago, I decided to coach a sport for the first time. It was soccer. I know what you're thinking. You don't look like a soccer player. It's because I'm not. I barely know the rules. But all the soccer players were four or five-year-olds. So you know I can do that okay and when I was thinking about this I'm like wow coaching soccer is a lot like herding sheep I would imagine because the kids they surely don't know what they're doing but I know the main goal okay I need to get these kids to shoot the ball into the goal. This is the goal. Listen to me kids. Here's what we're, we had. Practices. We're gonna run around these cones. We're gonna kick the ball to each other. Alright, let's practice passing the ball to one another. Game time comes. Rules are out. Off time, those things are out the window. They see the ball and they just run for it. But I had one particular kid who did not want to be there. Okay? And so just about every game I would put him in, you know, and he, he was kind of a big kid. So I put him as the defense. I was like, here is your job, man. Listen to me. Your job, see that ball? It doesn't get past you. When you see that ball, you run to it and you kick it out. And this is how he looked at me. He was just like, okay. I was like, this is going to go well. I can already tell. And every game time, that ball would just whoosh, right past. he just look at it. And then when he got tired, he would run to the edge and go to his parents who were sitting down and just climbing to their laps. And I'm like, hey, man, what are you doing? And I would get angry. I'd be like, well, come on back in, come on back in. And the parents are like, oh, he's okay. I'm like, no, bring him back in. we got to win this thing, you know. I was trying to t- tell them, hey, kids, listen to me. Here's what we got to do. Put the ball into the net. Work together. This is the only way we are going to win this game is if we Score and score and score. And the only way you're going to do that is if you listen to me. Because all they see is that ball. They don't see the other kids. They don't see anything else. All they see is the ball. And most of them are just chasing it around like a cat with a laser pointer. But for us, we know, and we confess that Jesus is the only way, and we are to hear his voice if we want to live life and follow him. But oftentimes, we try and cut corners in the godliness. We try and create ways for ourselves. And we talk about this a lot here, uh, the means by which God uses in our lives to, to bring us closer to him by reading his word, by gathering on Sunday morning together, by fellowshipping with one another but oftentimes we try and go around that. We say, I, don't, I just don't feel like coming today. And then that turns into the next Sunday and the next Sunday and the next Sunday. When God says, this is what you need. You need this people. You need this local body here in Oldham County. But we get into these habits where we think, hey, we just self-deceive ourselves. We think we can get around that. But the truth is, we have to go through Jesus for everything. And Jesus does not just save you and say, good luck. No, he's given you the church. He's given you tools to equip you in order to to be closer to him. But often we just don't want that because they're hard or they're inconvenient. Jesus is not something that we just try out or try on. Kind of like my one season of soccer I tried out and it's not happening again. Jesus is not something that you just try on, that you add on to your life and hopefully it'll make a few things better. No. Jesus tells us to what? Come and die. Come and die. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. He tells us to follow him. It's not something we just try out. You can't do that. Because what happens if you, if you just view Jesus as something that you're going to try out or as something that hopefully will make your life better, if you just view him that way, when things happen to you, you're going to say, Jesus, what happened here? I thought my life was supposed to look this way. But instead, Jesus has a better plan for us to follow, even when those things happen to us. Look at verse 8. He says this, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. What are these thieves and robbers trying to do? They're trying to, two things, come in and abuse the sheep. They're trying to come in and lead the sheep astray. But it's interesting because Jesus says that they did not listen to him. It did not follow him out. Why? Because he has sheep. They are his own, and they are going to listen to his voice. Our God is a sovereign God who calls his own. Who calls his own. This this should bring you comfort. That if you are in Christ, you cannot be stolen away by something else. Why? Because he has brought you into his family. He has brought you into his fold. Why? Sheep are not wild animals. Sheep are owned by someone. When you are in Christ, you are one of these sheep who hear his voice, and you are owned by Christ. Let me tell you something. There is nowhere you want to be, nowhere else you want to be. You are owned by him, and you hear his voice. My dad, um, he's an OCD type guy, and he's very fidgety, and he walks very fast. Okay, Um, And as long as I've known him, he wears a carabiner right here, And it always has like a 1,000 keys on it. What these keys are to, no one knows. They could be keys to the matrix. I have no idea, right? Matrix reference. But my dad, he would walk around, and these keys, they just jangle. But they not only jangle, but they jangle to the cadence of his walk. And when I was a kid, and still even now, I can tell if there are multiple people coming down a hallway, even people who are wearing keys, I know my dad is near. I know his walk. I know His cadence. I know the way those keys jangle. Why? Because I've heard them jangle my whole life. So if I'm doing something wrong, I know I'm going to be like, uh-oh, Dad's coming. <laughs> but I knew how my Father sounded coming. But it's just like here, the sheep hear God. They, they know who Christ is because they've experienced Christ, and Christ has called them and given them a new heart. We are His. So not only is is Jesus the door, and and by being the door, he he keeps us, right? He guards us from thieves and robbers, right? These these people are coming and trying to steal us away and lead us away. Not only that, but look in verse 8. We are safe and nourished. Verse 8, all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Verse 9, I am the door. Here we go. He says it again. So if something repeats in the Bible, it's important. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And not only that, and will go in and out and find pasture. He will be saved. And the image here, because we just got done him talking about thieves and robbers trying to steal them away and to harm and abuse the sheep, but now he's saying, if ye enter by me, the door, Jesus, they will be saved. They will be safe from this. And the image is is the image of someone who is seeking refuge and running to refuge over the past uh, month or so. And as you all know, because as a church, we've been able to help and serve uh, this Afghan family who fled um, the Taliban uh, back in the fall um, when they took over the whole country. And I've been thinking about them a lot, not just them, because if you go to their house, all around their house are other Afghan refugees there. And I've heard a couple of their stories, and they're very similar. Because they were all living their life there, and then something happened, and the Taliban, and you all know the Taliban, took over. And they feared for their lives, feared for their lives so much that they left it all behind. One of the translators that's helping us, he said, I dropped everything, my bank account, uh, my clothes. I came with the clothes in my back, and I just ran to the airport as these planes were taken off. I mean, can you imagine being in so much fear for your life that someone coming after you, meaning you harm and persecution, and then you having to run literally for your life? for your life. And and you all know the images that we saw last fall of the airplanes taking off and people clinging to this airplane but falling to their deaths. It's a gruesome image. But you have a people that are so afraid of what's to come that they are willing to risk their lives seeking refuge in something else. But when we look at the Bible Jesus is offering us refuge the Bible calls him our refuge he call, he's called our strong tower a shield a fortress to where we can run to you may be even thinking today if you don't know Christ you're like well my life's pretty good I have a good job a bank account I have a savings account I have a family they're all healthy My life's not so bad. I'm generally happy. But rest assured that when night falls, the wolves will come. The thieves and robbers will come. It's not an if. They will. What do I mean by that? We look at thieves and robbers in the text... We think of wolves, we think of anything that means you harm or destruction. But not just physical harm or destruction, but destruction of your soul. Here's where we differ from the sheep. Because we have a soul. You have a soul. And there are forces and there are things out there that are competing for your soul. But Jesus wants you to find refuge in him. And the image here is you running to that refuge. Running to him who can save your soul. And he offers it for us. Because what has he done? He came and lived a life just like me and you live. Except difference. He never sinned. He lived a life of righteousness And though he did not deserve to die, he died in your place so that why you may become part of his fold so that you can hear his voice so that you may have, and we'll get to this, abundant life here into eternity so that your soul may be nourished and fed. Look at the second part of verse 9. It says this, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I love this. This image of pasture being led out in order to to be fed, to be nourished, to grow. It reminds me of Psalm 23. And and it's a shame that often when we think of Psalm 23, we only think of funerals. Because even when it's read at funerals, it's really meant for everyone hearing it. Hear this the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for what? His namesake. All right. And then he goes into, and even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me. Even in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup is not just filled, it overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And it's this image of, of, of what is pasture. It's this nourishment, this restoration of your soul that you need. And it overflows even in the midst, like it said, in the table prepared in the midst of my enemies, even in the midst of trouble and tribulation and trial. He gives us pasture. Now, now for us, none of us here are, are running from the Taliban. But for us, it looks a lot smaller. Let me ask you a question. What do you expect when you come here on Sunday morning? Do you expect a couple good songs? Do you expect to catch up on the weather or the sports team? Do you expect to I don't know, go serve in the kids' ministry? Do you expect a good lunch afterwards? Do you expect to hear a, a good speaker? Hey, maybe Josh, tell me a few jokes today. I find that when we look in here, when we look at pasture and going in and out, that what we really need to do when we come here on Sunday mornings is expect communion with Christ, because that's what's happening. Come expecting to hear from God. Come expecting your soul to be restored. Why? Not by me, not by Casey. Not by Dan, but by the word of God. This is what, when we look at a pasture we look at the food there, this is the word of God restoring and nourishing your soul. It's not just dead words. They're words that give life. It's the peace of Christ. You can only know this if you are part of the fold. But oftentimes Sunday morning, and we all experience it, um, I remember last Sunday particularly, it was hard for me. If you have kids, getting them ready for church. Maybe you have failing health, and so it's a lot harder for you to get here or, or to be uh, involved in some things. Maybe someone here just annoys you and irritates the fire out of you, and you know you're know you going to see them, and you don't want to talk to them. But instead of just focusing on all these things, focus on. Instead, on these things that Christ has given you. Christ has given you this person to help sanctify you. Christ has given you the church to fellowship with, to restore your soul, brothers and sisters together. Christ has given you his word to be preached and explained and to be applied. And l- let me just tell you, if you're, if you're here and you are just vaguely know about Jesus, and maybe if someone asked you, Hey, are you a Christian? You'd probably say, yeah, I'm I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. But you haven't truly died to yourself. That what I'm saying right now, you have not experienced that. Even now, you feel weariness in your soul that on the outside, again, maybe you have what the world counts as success. Maybe you count yourself as a successful person. But inside, you are weary, and you are thirsty, and you are dry. This call is for you. Jesus says, if, if anyone enters by me, the door, he will go in and out and find pasture. In and out and find pasture. You will find your soul restored. This is for you as well. Turn, run to Jesus, because he is the only one who can give you Peace. But oftentimes we think about peace and we have the wrong notion. We just think peace is just when everything in our lives are going well, right? I want to tell you a quick story about something I read this week. It um, happened shortly after the Revolutionary War um, on the frontier. So think Kentucky, Ohio, uh, western Pennsylvania. And, and while the war was being fought, mainly in the east, the frontier was a hard place for several reasons. But it was also a place where people were just constantly spilling blood and stealing each other's things in order to just take revenge on one another. Because you'd have the the settlers, they would do something to the American Indians, and then they would turn and do something to the settlers. And the settlers, in turn, would go back to the Indians, they'd make a peace treaty, and then that would get broken, and it would go back and forth, back and forth, each side committing atrocities to one another. But in the midst of all of that, in the midst of all of this violence and bloodshed, there was a group of Moravian missionaries that went to a tribe of Delaware American Indians. And they went to them and they preached the gospel. And they believed. 200 of them, approximately. They believed the gospel. They turned from... The false gods that they had once believed, and they turned to Jesus and found refuge amongst all of this. Fast forward a couple years, and even other American Indian tribes kind of put them arm's length because, well, they believe in this Jesus, but they were also kind of set aside by the settlers because they looked like American Indians, and so they were kind of, they didn't really belong anywhere. And they had to be relocated several times because of the violence and the threats. And they finally got to this place where they were starving. They had no food. And so they decided to send about 100 of their tribe back to their old settlement to to forage for some food and bring back. But what they didn't know is that there was a small army of American militiamen who were out for blood because of a different group that did something to their settlers. And this militia came upon this group of Christian American Indians foraging for food, and they came offering peace. They said, hey, we're here to help. We want to take you back and give you food. And and the American Indians were ecstatic. And and they joined in with them, and they took them back to their fort. And right when they got back, they bound their hands, and they bound uh, their feet, and they kept them overnight and they told them we're going to execute you in the morning and the Americans the Christians were like why we we believe in Jesus we we didn't do what you're telling us we did that wasn't us they didn't care they were out for blood and so they told them they told the chief tomorrow morning you're going to be executed in this group of American Indian believers gathered together. They they were separate and they were gathered together, and the chief said to them this. He said, My children, hear me. Our sentence is fixed, and we shall soon all depart unto our Savior. This I must say now. I have sinned in many ways and have grieved the Lord with my disobedience, not walking as I ought to have done. But still, I will cling to, cleave to my Savior with my last breath and hold him fast, though I am so great a sinner. He will forgive me all my sins and not cast me out. And from there, the tribe began to sing and praise God through the night, because in the morning they were executed one by one. There were only two that got away to tell the story. You may be thinking that doesn't sound like pasture. That doesn't sound like an abundant life. So when we look at a story like this, and there's tons of stories, you can think about our brothers and sisters in Ukraine right now who are hunched over uh, in the subway, so they're not going to get shelled in their homes. But yet they're worshiping God. Are we, are we going to say that God is robbing them of life, abundant life and pasture? No. No. And if we do, then we are misunderstanding what life is. We are misunderstanding what true pasture is. Look with me in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life. He doesn't just stop there, right? What does he say? And have it abundantly. He didn't just give life, but he wants you to have life abundantly. How can we say this of what we just heard? If you would have asked them, and we we, we heard from even the chief, that they would have said they had life and they had it abundantly. Why? Because they knew their Savior. And even in the midst of what was to come, they were singing songs of praise and prayers to him. Because they knew who Jesus was. They knew they had found the door of the sheep. They had found the good shepherd. They had found the restorer of their souls. The one whom their soul longed for, they had found it. And if you are in Christ, you have found it too. We often think about our salvation, and we think only about the eternal reward and benefit, which there is, and it's great. I mean, it's eternally great. It's beautiful, and we should think about it often. But a lot of the times, especially in our Bible Belt culture, we think, okay, I signed a card, I became a a believer, I believe in Jesus, I'm good, I got my fire insurance, I'm not going to hell now. So I'm just going to live my life. But what what, what happens after that is we begin to compromise. We begin to live our lives passively, just letting it hit us. Well, that's just life. But instead... Because of what Christ has done, we can face our lives with confidence and with joy and with abundance, knowing that we have Christ. If your soul is weary this morning, Christ is here. Cast your burdens on him, and he will take them. We just got done going through the book Gentle and Lowly. He doesn't just stand back with his arms folded and say, oh, he messed up again. No, he he runs to you to lavish grace and mercy upon you. He wants you. Trust in him. Trust in him today. Every single second of your life, every single second, every single millisecond is filled with purpose. It's filled with with worshiping God by the situations he's placed you in. I don't know all of your situations, but he has you where he wants you, and he wants you to worship him. If you look in chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, when they come upon the man who was born blind, you have someone here who typically we would say, oh, if there's anyone that has reason to complain about their life and their station, it's this guy. He was born blind, born couldn't even see. Lewis says in verse 1, he says, As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind? So in their minds, like someone must have done something wrong for him to be born blind. But what does Jesus say? Look at this. Jesus answered, "It It was not that this man had sinned or his parents, but why? That the works of God might be displayed in him. This man was born so that God could glorify Himself through his life. He was born for this moment. And listen, everyone in this room, God has created in His image so that He might glorify Himself in you, through you. Don't passively just waste your life. Wake up every morning. Get on your knees. And thank God. Let him restore your soul. Come to this pastor. Come home to him. Because he gives life that is abundant. We were created to see beauty and truth and life. We weren't just, when I was a kid, when I thought, oh, I'm going to be a Christian, now what? Like, I, I remember being a kid and think, everyone telling me about heaven all the time. I'd be like, so what do you do in heaven? We worship God. I remember as a kid being like, well, I don't, what does that mean, you know? He didn't just save you so you can be bored and sit around. He saved you and placed you into this fold so that you might find restoration. That you might find rest in him. Not rest like a nap on Sunday. That's not what I'm talking about. Rest for your soul. So that when something happens inevitably, you can turn to him. And you have rest even in the midst of that. as we think about our brothers and sisters in Ukraine right now, our heart, I mean, I, I think it, I speak for everyone in the room, it's, our heart goes out to them. We, we, we pray for them. But I think everyone's seen that video of that family singing, He Will Hold Me Fast. And, I, and that impacts me so much after reading this because you have someone, again, who's being bombarded with an invasion, yet... They are turning to Christ. He will hold me fast. There are stories of small groups of believers going out into the park to pray together. They are not rejecting their Savior. Instead, they are running to Him. Because they know that the only peace that they will have will be in Christ. Let's pray together.